With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In today's episode of the Canon Podcast, join us as we break down what's happening with Martin Odegaard, get an in-depth look at the position of Takehiro Tomiyasu, find out how Arsenal are changing the way they're pressing, and we discuss the next step for Aaron Ramsdale and David Raya. Yes, guys, welcome back to episode 29 of the Canon Podcast. And this time we're breaking down a lot of things, starting off with Chelsea, Zinchenko versus Tomiyasu, and Martin Odegaard debating that as well. Likely Leandro Trossard and Gabriel Jesus to be discussed. The Arsenal attack, how is that evolving? The Arsenal press, and most importantly, Sevilla as well to come. So, a lot to break down. We're going to start off, with, and of course, Field Tilt, as I am a Field Tilt enthusiast. Let's start off with Chelsea. George, where did it go wrong for Mikel Arteta's Arsenal? Because we drew but wasn't a win. And of course, the performance was a bit annoying, especially in the first half. Well, I was furious in the first half. It was our worst first half performance of the season, in my opinion. Furious. And I think that just technically the level wasn't there, that you can separate that, I think, from a desire perspective. I don't know what happened um, to the boys because I haven't seen that from us in quite a while. In the first two minutes, you know, Jorginho and Zinchenko give the ball away kind of in their own box. And, you know, they have a shot. And I think that set the tone for that kind of first half in general. It's not those players' faults, but it was just kind of the chasm of what everybody was doing technically for that first half. You know, even players that we thought had really great second halves and Bakayo Saka, who didn't really get the ball, um, Declan Rice, I thought, had an average first half and then, of course, took over and became man of the match for me. But in general, there wasn't much to really uh, yell home about from an Arsenal perspective in that first half. And, you know, I had a, a tweet on the post or what is it, the X nowadays, um, kind of discussing this in general. And I have to admit, I saw the lineup and guys, I was worried if we do a pre-match show and I see a Chelsea midfield with Gallagher and Caicedo, which is a leggy midfield. We might question the quality of the progression. We have issues in that Chelsea midfield, but the one thing they are is physical and leggy. And then I'm going to combat that with Zinchenko, Jorginho, Martin Odegaard, which pushes, by the way, Declan Rice wide. And we've seen that in preseason because he wasn't in central to the pivot. He wasn't receiving there in the first half. And I'm sitting there and I'm questioning myself, is that a best use of resources to go completely control in quotes against a physical leggy midfield now people are quoting to me in the comments at least from that post you know Jorginho had an excellent game at St. James Park 
And so therefore, why, why is it not that game? But I think my question would go a little bit more so. You know, Newcastle didn't press us in a man-to-man fashion the same way that Chelsea would have, and we knew that they were going to. Gallagher at the 10 is not somebody that's going to be receiving. Between the lines, we know what his role is. He's going to be a main presser for Chelsea. They're going to go man-to-man because they're unable to mark zonally. We can't control Arsenal in the middle third. And so one thing that I did see, especially in terms of, you know, some rewatches, Chelsea did the typical thing that most teams do. They have their wingers narrow against Arsenal. They normally have a front two. People block the center of the pitch, and they ask us to go wide. That normally happens from an Arsenal perspective. No problem with that whatsoever. The issues I've got are out of possession from an Arsenal perspective. Who is going to go and stop the outball to Raheem Sterling, which I was afraid of, the outball to Mudrick, when you've got so many people in the middle of the park that want to put their foot on the ball and recycle? And that, for me, is a fundamental problem. Our speed of play was poor, and I think that every single time we turned up the temperature, we created a very significant chance, and it frustrated me because I don't think Chelsea were that good. We made them look better than they are, and I was frustrated from an Arsenal perspective. I think I went in going to the game in the previous podcast saying, I want us to press. I want us to finally get back to North London Derby for 60 minutes. I want to see a man-to-man press from Arsenal. We didn't see it. And I'm frustrated at that. I think Robert Sanchez is a keeper that if you put enough pressure on him, he's going to make a mistake. We saw it. And it frustrated me that within that back line of Chelsea, particularly Thiago Silva, who I thought we could have isolated far more than we did, um, you kind of saw the proof in the pudding in the second half. You put Declan Central, we start opening up. Bukayo Saka receives a lot more uh, facing goal. And we saw what he could do. He had an excellent performance. You know, Bukayo... For me, it doesn't get talked about enough on the timeline. I mean, he put in a monster performance to drag us back, getting two assists at key moments. And, of course, you know, Trossard I thought was a great sub. I thought the subs in general, maybe that's the one redeeming thing that I was really proud about from a Mikel perspective. I think every time this season, when his back has been against the wall, he's done a very good job on the whole about responding well with subs. I don't think he's done it at the right time that I've wanted. I don't think he's got everything right. But for the most part, his subs have changed games positively for us. So mm. from that perspective, we've rescued a point. We still, um, in total, by the way, have garnered the most points against top six sides. We've played the most games against top six sides uh, compared to the rest of the top six. So that is a positive, but it just leaves me wanting more. I left that game saying, for me, while most people were saying a point gained based on the game, I get that. For me, I'm like, this was a couple points lost from where I saw the teams. From where I saw the team mm. at kickoff and the selection and how the game went, we basically gave up a first half. And that for me is the most frustrating thing, I think, as a fan. I never want to see our team chalk off a half. That's far too much for me. Um, and I think we could have done better. 100%. And what I want to talk about now is my frustration is really a lack of ball, a lot of ball progression. I mean, the field was fun, actually. We had like 64% to be fair. It was more that progression to the final third and not even progression to the final third, how slow it was. Every time the ball would go into like a half space or in that area, it bounced back straight to the player behind. Like there was no intention to turn in behind to ask the question. There was only, I think, a few occasions in the second half of Rice started to do it at 2-0 down. And there was almost like nothing to lose. And I think that was my real frustration. And that's where you want your number eights to really pick up the ball. We need to talk about Martin Odegaard's performance because it was really, really poor uncharacteristically poor but you know some fans will say like, okay maybe this is a game that shows that sometimes Odegaard isn't suited Mikel should be a bit more decisive at taking him off early in the game but he's a captain so how do you do that now but the fact that Saka took the captain's armband and performed at that standard Alex let's talk in, in terms of Odegaard in this team right now 
what do you think his short-term future holds? Yeah, I think we can talk all we want about systems and tactics and progression and central access and all this sort of stuff. If you give the ball to someone and they just it just bounce off and then playing with a beach ball, it doesn't matter. None of nothing else matters if you don't get the basics right. And I know that's a bit. We want to understand football at the level it's played at in in the game, or we want to talk about it at a tactical level, and we want to talk about it and try and understand the really you know the key elements of the game that that are beyond sort of the average. Oh, good, yeah, good result. You know, we want to talk about that because it's interesting, right? But equally, sometimes Roy Keane analysis can work. <laughs> if you don't give someone, if someone, if the ball bounces off someone's foot every time they get it, you you can't do anything. So that was the problem with Erdegaard. And I I think while I happen to fall down on the side of the of the Raya argument of like saying that I think we should stick with Raya. I think there's a lot of context around it. I think a lot of the the opposition to Raya is a little bit unfair and a little bit de- decontextualized. I do agree with people who are like. Well, if this was like, I think that the kind of Mikel has his favorites type argument around Erdegaard, I do agree with. And I think that kind of slightly folds into the idea of the, the substitutes. Because I agree with George that the personnel was correct, but the timing, Martin Erdegaard coming off at 78 minutes is, is, is not okay. Like that man should have been taken off at half time. He was not at it. And that's fine. It's not to say Erdegaard's a terrible player and he should be dropped. It's just to say that he was not having his, a good game. And the fact that he was our last substitution. I'm not trying to start some kind of agenda and say Arteta's got favourites, whatever. Of course, you're going to have favourites. It's understandable. But every but coach think, does, think, mate. Like, I think that's, exactly. that's a normal. And when and the problem is, is I, what I understand is when you create a... When you're as ruthless as you are with a very popular player like Ramsdale, when you are that ruthless, I think you have to understand that when other players, who you are going to have your favourites, when they're underperforming, you have to... You have to do what's best for the team, but you have to accept that there is going to be a backlash from people who are going, well, if you're that ruthless with that player, then what is this? So I understand. I don't necessarily fall down on that side, but I do really hear those people who say, well, if you're that ruthless with that player, why can't you be ruthless with that player? I think there's context to it in terms of, I think the the tactical plan runs through Erdegaard. I think, you know, broadly you have to play players, you know, you know, even when they're having a bad game, sometimes you play them through it, you know, you, you know, you have that sort of thing. But I do think in terms of specifically on Erdegaard, yeah. I don't know. Look, as I, I think uh, Rohan, uh, friend of the show, um, Rohan said it perfectly. Martin Erdegaard out of possession has been one of our best players so far this season. Martin Erdegaard in possession has been probably one of our, certainly in that front five, one of one of the the, the lowest performers this season. Worst, just say it's, it's, it's been awful. In no, I don't. I don't think he. I. I wouldn't. He has been. He has been poor. He's been absolutely poor. But That's I, what I'll I, say, yeah. I. I. I still wouldn't. I wouldn't say he's been our worst performer in terms of in possession. He's. He's still added he's been, value. Yeah, I wouldn't say he's been the worst, but he's been up there as one of the players that in certain games just passed him by. The Spurs game is an example, and this game is another one as well. So I think fans are now asking the question of when you see how Havertz came on and played on that right hand side in the area he was more comfortable, how Saka's performance went up. Maybe there's an indication there of what maybe some fans have been seeing that Odegaard isn't holding Saka back, but is a more suitable profile to help complement Saka better as well. And, look, I, you know, I think Havertz's performance off the bench kind of showed that, no? Yeah, it, look, it does. And it'll spark the debates. I mean, I've been somebody that said, I think Kai Havertz from the right is something that we need to see. I've always said that I feel as though he's better from the right. He sees the pitch better from the right. But Did guys, it Chelsea? Yeah, but I think it's even more than just that, guys. It's about the role. And I want to provide context. I, I want to defend Martin Odegaard for a little bit here. We're sitting here saying that he's been poor this season without discussing his change in role. 
We're sitting here talking mm -hmm. about how Martin Odegaard is performing out of possession versus in possession without discussing how he's not arriving in the same spaces as last year. He's not being asked to do the same things as last year. Now, some of that is on the player because he's got some individual issues that he's got to work through in terms of his touch, technical security. I don't think Martin Odegaard should be a beach ball. That's not a player that you know you would attribute that discussion to. So that's on him as a player. But then the entire discussion about his shots, his his you know his kind of his arriving in Zone 14, the entire creation debate with Martin Odegaard, that's a tactical decision from Mikel that the right hand side has become more of the second striker or the higher eight. Now, I'm somebody that believes that that flexibility can work, but why are you asking Martin Odegaard, who's not that kind of profile player, to perform that role? Kai Havertz, Emil Smith Rowe, even Fabio Vieira, you would attribute as players being more successful to have a majority of shots and lesser build-up responsibility. Now, the left-hand side has actually been asked to do that in possession. You know, when you talk about Kai Havertz, a left central midfielder, we see him trying to offer himself as an option in the middle of the park in build-up. Again, I just don't understand the tactical role that you're asking. So last year, Martin Odegaard was certainly deeper, wasn't the highest of the midfield. And by the way, you take away the space for him to arrive into when you ask him to be the highest midfield. Now, out of possession, that works great because he's somebody there that, you know, can apply the pressure in those deeper areas. But in possession, if you're already in the final third, and Martin Odegaard is not a dynamic player that he's going to create separation in those first five yards, so he's not going to burst into the space, then you're condensing the space he has to operate in, and already that for me is an issue. I've always felt like Martin Odegaard does his best work when he sees the game in front of him. Now, if he's receiving in those half pockets, he can do it. It's not that he can't do it, but do you maximize his ability to affect the team play? Because we've already got somebody that can receive in those tight spaces on that same side, in Bukayo Saka. So that for me has been the real frustration when you've got these two players that are up top and that prefer the same zones fundamentally. They both want to be inside in that half pocket receiving at the top of the box. And if you've got both of them already operating there, then there's going to be some overlap. There's going to be some redundancy. So I, I think that's the biggest issue when you're talking about Martin Odegaard's play and performance this season you know him operating higher up the pitch means that he's seeing the pitch in a different way and he's asked to do different things and I did prefer the Odegaard of you know 2021 that has more build-up responsibility that is operating in the middle third it actually has the space to maximize what has been one of his best traits this season arriving in the box I think we're seeing less of it because he's operating so high he's not got the space to go in there anymore and some of those cutbacks that he's doing right now what we're basically seeing is him taking shots outside the box as more of his primary impact on the game and I think that's nothing um, nobody wants to see that and I and I can assure you I don't think Martin Odegaard prefers doing that role he's always the question preferred. that I, I want to ask then about that is on Odegaard if he is by a lot of fans seen as our creative hub which he looks like on paper, but his stats won't say that. You look at how City have got Kevin De Bruyne, and if that game did 2 no down, they're not taking De Bruyne off because he provides that moment, that chance, even in the sense of Bruno Fernandes. Odegaard has shown signs of doing it, but he's never really been a high, big chance creator, you know, constantly making chance of the chance on a consistent basis. He makes, you know, has key pass numbers and stuff, but he's not really, I'd say, the final pass machine that Arsenal might need in certain occasions. So just a quick question to both of you here. Who do you see as that future creative hub, that Bruno, that Trent for Liverpool, that, you know, Kevin De Bruyne rest player for Arsenal, if it isn't Martin Odegaard? We'll go to Alex first. Vieira? 
<laughs> see, see uh, there you go yeah but, but look I, I think George, George has brought up some interesting stuff and I, and I think it's worth saying that he is in different zones this season what what I what I'd say is I think a lot of this is uh, 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 I have this thing at the moment about Arteta running the tactical ideas through Erdegaard so I think he trusts him a lot which is partly why he isn't dropping him and I think the part of what's happened there is when he's been asked to be a little bit deeper. We're seeing a better performance. Like it's backing. You go look at the Bournemouth performance. That's backing up George's point. Essentially, it's like you know when when he's allowed a bit more build up responsibility, when he doesn't have to be as high, he's different. I also think he's been worse in games with Jesus because it's almost like he's he's the guy on the last line when he's with Inketi. He can actually drop out a little bit because Inketi can stay there. So there is certainly some issues there. I think his out of possession stuff has been has been good, but it changes the the creative responsibility. So I don't. I think it can still be Erdegaard. Is my point. It's just I think it's more about the role and more about how how we utilize him and how we get there as well. I, I do want to bring up this point as well because I think it's really important. And again, this is uh, Rohan's point. I think it's it's brilliant. Um, I should get him on the podcast. Um, essentially, the it used to be that we'd have last season, traditionally, we'd have a three and a two and Zinchenko would be inside. And what that would do is it would drag the opposition winger inside to create that space for Gabriel. This season, that isn't happening, certainly as often. If you go watch, Chelsea are in a 4-4-2 block. Sterling's letting Zinchenko be free. And it's it's blocking us on that side because basically they're asking their two, whoever whoever is in the two, to block the entry pass. And it's forcing us wide even more. We haven't got the same space in the build-up in the first phase that we did. That, I think, was trying to be counteracted by Jorginho. I think that's what Arteta's noticed, and that's why he put Jorginho in as a control thing. But I'd agree with George in terms of dealing with the first phase better. But I'd agree with George in the sense that once that happened, and once you see that, I, I saw the I saw the attack, I, I saw the, the the lineup, and I went, okay, it's not what I would have done, but I see the control idea. And I didn't hate it against against that idea because I fine, you know, we don't necessarily have those Bruno Gimaraes, Conor Gallagher type midfielders. But once it isn't working, once you can see where Erdegaard's standing isn't working, once you can see that things aren't working, we don't change quick enough. I don't mind. We aren't, we're not press, we're not omniscient. We don't know that the tactical plan isn't going to work. But what we do know is half an hour into that game, every Arsenal fan saying, this isn't go, this isn't happening. So, so something needs to change and nothing changed for the second half. And that's, that's my main issue. So I don't, I don't think it's an individual thing. I actually want to put more blame on Arteta. And I think the creative issues do stem from Arteta's decision-making and being too slow to react. Mm. There is also another debate and that is now the left-backs. Now Zinchenko in the first half, you know, gave the ball away a few occasions and of course got a yellow card and up against Sterling was being caused problems after problems. And then, of course, Mikel Arteta threw on Takahiro Tomiyasu as that inverted left-back. And it's very key to point, he actually plays like an inverted left-back. You know, sometimes you have players that maybe drop into a back three, but he moves into midfield and plays in those areas and underlaps pretty well as well. So, George, what do you make of Tomiyasu's evolution in that position? Because I'm pretty right in saying in the past that you weren't as comfortable with him playing in that role. Thanks for checking out the Canon Podcast. To hear the full episode, sign up as a YouTube member on this channel or go to patreon.com forward slash the Canon Pod. Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.